the Lord. Uh, before we jump into the message, let me just mention a couple of things. Number one, uh, here at the end of the service, we have just a little bit of uh, church business to take care of. Uh, we mentioned last Sunday that uh, our deacon board has uh, nominated uh, three men uh, to serve as uh, deacons here at Cleveland Baptist Church. And uh, their nomination obviously is uh, presented to you. It was uh, uh, a nomination in which they are saying, we believe these men uh, fit the qualifications found in First Timothy chapter number three, and I'm in agreement with them. And uh, so here at the end of the service, those of you that are 18 years old and older uh, that are here tonight, that are members of Cleveland Baptist Church, you'll be receiving just a little ballot slip like this. And very, very simple, you'll see the three names listed, and you will uh, either affirm uh, or choose not to affirm uh, these individuals, and a very, very simple, and then there'll be some uh, plates in the back that you can drop those in as you're leaving. And again, I, I appreciate uh, your participation, and I appreciate uh, our men and just their desire to take this seriously. I, th- I appreciate these three men who have agreed to serve. Uh, if you study, really, this particular office, you'll find uh, that it is, uh, it is uh, not a position so much as it is an opportunity to serve. That's really what it is. And uh, that's what the name means, and, uh, and, and certainly our men do serve, and we're thankful for uh, their willingness to do so. And, uh, and so these men obviously will, uh, with your approval, will step into that role uh, immediately, and we're certainly grateful for that. We've had a little bit of turnover with just some different things. One of our deacons passed away, and, uh, and then we've obviously had some that have stepped away for one reason or another, and so we're wanting to, uh, to replace uh, these men, and, uh, and certainly we're, we're grateful for that. Let me also just mention, uh, and I don't know how many of you are involved in the social media world, but um, we have uh, begun, just this week we posted a just a brief video. I think maybe it's 55 seconds in that ballpark, uh, just highlighting. It's really just an invite to the Christmas concert that'll be here December the 16th and December the 17th. And so if you go to facebook.com slash Cleveland Baptist Church, you'll see that there. And, um, and you could help us a tremendous amount by sharing that video. You don't have to say anything about it, just sharing it. Uh, you can say something about it if you want to. Uh, but uh, that just really spreads, spreads the word as you share that. And those that are connected with you uh, that live in this region and live in, live in this area uh, are made aware of that. And it gives times and dates and all of that sort of thing and gives a little bit of a recap from uh, previous years, and you see some of the different uh, video and that sort of thing that has been captured. And so if you'll help us by doing that, that'd be a great, a great help to us. Again, for those of you that are uh, Facebook users, I don't know that everyone, well, I know that everyone here is not, uh, but for those of you that are, if you would uh, do us a favor by helping us with that, we certainly uh, would appreciate that. We're in Ephesians chapter number six uh, here this evening, and I'm just going to begin re- by reading verses 10 and 11, and, uh, and then we'll jump into Uh, into the message together. Again, this is uh, part two, really, of what we began uh, last Sunday night. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. As we said a moment ago, last week we began this message with a, uh, a reminder that spiritual strength is without doubt the need in our lives. Uh, The enemy, we've learned last week, that the enemy we are engaged with is very, very good at what he does. (laughs) uh, He's been around for a while, we might say. 
And uh, he, uh, the Bible talks about, again, his, his wiles. And of course, we discovered last week that word wiles, it speaks of the idea of tricks or methods and, and could even carry with it the idea of experience. So when, it ta- when the Bible talks about being able to stand against the wiles of the devil, understand that he is experienced, that he is very, very good at what he does. And uh, you know, if you're going to stand, the Bible is clear, you must be strong, not in your own power, in your own flesh, but you must be strong in the Lord. Uh, we discover that the enemy has seized control of this world's power. And, and we cannot win this battle with physical strength and, and with physical weaponry because this battle, the Bible is clear, it is not fought with flesh and with blood. But instead, it is fought, listen, it is fought against evil spirits and demonic presence that has infiltrated almost, listen, almost all segments of our society and culture's power and authority. Now listen, the challenge before us is great. No question about that. We face an enemy who is very capable. He has much power and control, but listen, all hope is not lost. No, the scriptures tell us that we, that we can, that we should, that we must find strength in the Lord so that we can overcome in the power of his might. Now the first factor of spiritual strength for a successful soldier of the Lord is to consider what he is wearing, what he is wearing. Now if you've been a part of church for any length of time, you will know, you will certainly know that many judge or many determine spirituality based on how people appear outwardly. It's just how it is. The truth of the matter is that's not, that's not just something that is, uh, that is uh, just church-oriented, uh, that, that, that really everywhere you go, people are, uh, people are sizing other people up and they're making a lot of determinations simply based on how somebody looks. It's just, it's just the nature of things. Um, the Lord, by the way, the Lord told us that it would be this way. He said in, in 1 Samuel 16, as, as he had called Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, Jesse immediately sees the oldest son, I'm sorry, Samuel sees the oldest son of Jesse, and, and in his mind he's thinking, this is it. This is the one, he's the eldest, he's strong, he's good looking, he's sharp. And you know what the Lord said? The Lord came and he said, he said to Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. In other words, don't, don't look at it, what his face appears to be. No, look at how tall he is, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Did you know that even Jesus himself strongly warned against just judging based on an outward appearance? Jesus said in John 7, 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now listen, you know this as well as I do, that many have dressed modestly and appropriately, but in the, in the evil day, in the evil day, they have fallen. They have not been able to stand and to withstand in the evil day. The, the point is this, it is, it is very easy to dress a certain way. Anybody can do that. It's very easy to look a certain way, to conduct oneself in a certain way from an outward perspective so that everyone that you come in contact with develops a positive outlook 
towards you. They, 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 think, they think, hey, this guy's got it together. This guy's spiritually strong. But I'm here to remind you, listen, spiritual strength is never found in looks and appearance. It just isn't. Why? Why? Because, because we wrestle not with flesh and blood. This isn't, this isn't about the outside of a man or of a woman. So listen, outward appearances never give a complete picture of anything. They just don't. What did the Bible say about Jesus? Isaiah 53, Isaiah wrote, and I'm not gonna quote it exactly right, but he, he basically said, when we see him, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. So when you looked upon Jesus, no, no one came away from that saying, behold, the son of God, behold the Messiah, behold the Savior, because he didn't really look like a, a Messiah. He didn't really look like a savior. He didn't really look like the son of God. Oh, I know, I know the paintings have the halos around his head and they have his body glowing and his, his robe is radiating uh, beauty and light. I, 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 know what the, I know what the artists have done, but I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. And the Bible is clear that, uh, that, that, that there, was, there was nothing about Jesus that would make us desire him. But listen, don't miss this. It didn't change the fact that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the savior of the entire world. Oh, the world might have, the, might, the world might have sized him up and thought, hey, he's, he's no match for us. We can defeat him. We can take him down. But listen, you, you, you can't. You can't just judge based on outward appearance. No, you must judge righteous judgment. So again, understand this is spiritual warfare. And it requires something far beyond mere physical strength, physical power, and it even requires something even beyond the outward appearance of things. Paul instructed the church at Ephesus to put on the whole armor of God. So here's the question tonight, what are you wearing? Talked about the loins girt about with truth in verse 14. Talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Talked about feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace in verse 15. He talked about the shield of faith in verse 16, and he talked about the helmet, or we might say the hope of salvation in verse number 17. Listen, if you're wearing these things, you will surely stand or overcome in this conflict. Again, don't, don't, don't take what I'm saying and run, run a long way with it. Physical appearance does matter. Modesty matters. Identity matters. Because that is what a man is looking at. They, and they should, by the way, they should see a difference in us. But this, listen, this grows first out of a transformed heart and a transformed life. Too, way too many, way too many have tried to bypass the, the, the surgery that Christ wants to do in your life. They've tried to bypass the transformation that Christ wants to bring inwardly by just simply fixing up the outward appearance so that looks okay. And they've all the while, they've ignored what is the most important. And the most important thing is this, the heart, the heart. There is no spiritual strength or victory found by just dressing up in a certain way. No, one must be willing to allow Christ to do his work in them, which requires submission, it requires obedience, and it requires surrender. So what are you wearing tonight? That's first and foremost. The Bible says to take unto you the whole armor of God. As you get up tomorrow morning, as you go about your week, you better be wearing what we're told to be wearing here in Ephesians chapter number six. 
Is it possible that the vast majority of us have gone most of our spiritual lives get up every morning and we pick out, I'm going to wear this sweater today and I'm going to wear these shoes and I'm going to wear my hair in this way and I'm going to wear this jewelry and I'm going to wear this necktie and we never, listen, we never stop to think, now hold on a minute, am I wearing the armor of God? Am I wearing truth and righteousness and faith and peace and salvation? Am I, am I wearing these things? And tonight I'd like to conclude this message by looking at some additional resources that are provided for us in order to have spiritual strength. These are just beyond things that you're just told to be wearing tonight. Let me share two things with you and we'll be done. Number one, let me say this, that spiritual strength is not only found in what you're wearing, but spiritual strength is found in what you're carrying. Spiritual strength is found in what you're carrying. Now look in verse number 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I want you to know something. You know, we, we, we talked about, Paul, Paul writes about what you're wearing. But I want you to understand that, that you don't wear a sword. You don't wear a sword. No, you carry a sword. You hold that sword uh, in your hands. And I, I want you to notice a couple of things that just really jump off the page at us as we consider this sword as it's identified for us here in verse number 17. Number one, I want you to consider that it is of the Spirit. He calls it the sword of the Spirit. Now, we have been emphasizing, haven't we? We've been emphasizing the Holy Spirit of God as a church family this year. And so this is fitting. This is appropriate. This is in line with where we've been. And, and here's what this means. When he says, take the sword of the Spirit, it's saying this, that this sword, this sword is furnished to us. It is made available to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, in my office, in my office tonight, um, is a sword that was given to our church a number of years ago. It was given to us by a missionary to Spain. And uh, every once in a while, if I have some little children come into my office, I say, you want to see something really cool? Yeah, yeah, we want to see something cool. I'll take them back there, and I'll pull the sword out. And their eyes get real big, you know. And, uh, and, and I just have to tell you, it is, it is nothing more than just a decoration. That sword is worthless, all right? It, I mean, for, I'm, I'm talking about in physical warfare, it will do you no good whatsoever. It is as dull as can be. It is, it is not sharp in any way, uh, shape, or form. But you know, I, I thought to myself, I remember when that sword was given to us. I remember it was given on this platform. It was presented, a little inscription on there, donated or presented to the Cleveland Baptist Church. Thank you for your faithful support to the work that's going on there in Spain. And so that, that sword was furnished to our church. It was given to our church as a gift from a, a missionary. Listen, this, this sword, this sword was given to us. It was furnished for us by the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that exciting to think that he has, given, he has given us a sword that we're to carry into spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, day in and day out. You say, you say are you, are, how, how do you know that this sword really came from the Holy Spirit of God? Well, let me, let me, let me share some scriptures with you. Look in, well, it'll probably appear on the screen, Mark 12 and verse number 36. Look, it says, for David himself said, notice, by the Holy Ghost. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. You know what? You know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, David didn't say that on his own. David didn't come up with that. Those weren't David's thoughts or David's ideas. No, David said that by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Ghost of God told him to say that. 
That's where that comes from. There's another verse I want you to see. It's in Acts 28. Look at verses 25 to 27. And when they agreed, not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Here's what he said. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Esaias, the prophet, unto our fathers. Now, let's just pause here for just a moment. Paul is quoting. He's quoting who? What name is is given in in that particular text? Isaiah, right? And of course, we understand that is, the, that is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Isaiah, all right? So he's, he's reflecting, he's taking us back to the book of Isaiah. But what is, what is Paul actually saying? He's saying, Isaiah didn't say that. No, he spake that, and he spake it well, it's a good word, but he spake it, really the Holy Spirit of God spake it. By the prophet, he says, now let's go to the next verse, verse 26, saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and perceive uh, and, and, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes have they closed. And the, and the quote goes on there. So, so understand, listen, understand, the, 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 the scriptures are clear, aren't they? That, that these men weren't, weren't coming up with this stuff on their own. You say, well, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Well, let me just share with you what the Bible says in Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 9. Wherefore, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Listen, listen, the Holy Ghost said that. The Holy Ghost said today, don't harden your heart. The Holy Ghost said that. Paul's not saying that. The author of Hebrews isn't saying that. No, the Holy Ghost said it. And then, of course, 2 Peter 1, 21 for the prophecy. Came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So listen, understand this sword. This sword is furnished to us by the Holy Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. That word, by the way, in Ephesians 6, that word spirit is capitalized. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit of God. But not only is this sword that we're to be carrying is of the spirit but notice secondly it is it is the word of god that's what the spirit that's what the sword is it's furnished by the holy spirit but what is it where can i find it you can find it in that book that you hold in your lap oh what a beautiful book this is it's the word of god it's the bible your your bible is precious it's precious because it is a weapon with which you can carry it onto the spiritual battlefield to avoid spiritual death and catastrophe. Before he passed away, Brother John Plum was a, a dear friend of mine. We spent a lot of time together, and, and, uh, and he, had, he had had a, a history in which he uh, spent some time in the Marine Corps, uh, fresh out of high school, and, and, uh, and I, I, would, I would ask him questions about it. You know, I I never went, you know, went to the military, never signed up for that. And, and so all of that was sort of, you know, uh, new to me. And, and, um, and, and here's, here's, here's what he would tell me. And, and those of you guys that are in the Marines, you suppose, I suppose you can correct me after the service if I'm wrong. But, but that, that weapon they provide you, that gun, I mean, that, that, becomes your, that becomes your right arm, doesn't it? That becomes your best friend. Here, here's what he told me. I, I, think, I think he's true. I think, I think he was telling me the truth. I don't think he was pulling my leg. He, he, said, he said, we would sleep with that gun. We go to bed with that thing. I mean, right there in our bunk, man, it would be, it would be right there with us. You know, ready, ready to use at a moment's notice. Oh man, they made sure that gun worked. They cleaned it, they polished it. 
Now, they carried it with them at all times. It was always nearby. They always knew where it was. That, that, that gun was so precious to them. Well, listen, we're soldiers, aren't we? We're soldiers. We don't, we, don't, we don't fight flesh and blood. We don't carry actual guns. We don't carry actual swords that are sharp, that have to be sharpened, and, and, and that sort of thing. No, but we do have a sword. It's given to us. It's furnished for us by the Holy Spirit. And what is it? It's the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, and, and, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, here's the question. How can one carry this weapon and use it in the evil day when the devil comes against them? Listen, the sword does, does us no good unless we use it and use it well. Three things, and very quickly, I'll just touch on that. Number one, if you're gonna carry this sword, you, you must know how to study God's word. Study God's word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, every believer ought to read God's word. They ought to obey God's word. And they ought to be, listen, I believe every believer ought to be capable of communicating God's word to others. You say, well, I, I don't think God's called me to preach. And I don't think I have the gift of, of teaching. I don't think I have that spiritual gift. But that doesn't change the fact that you ought to be able to sit down with someone one-on-one and you ought to be able to open a Bible and you ought to be able to tell them what it says. Every, every believer, I think, ought to be able, they ought to be able to communicate God's word. Now, how, listen, how can you do any of those things unless you first study it? You should know God's word better than you know the stats of your favorite sports team. You should know God's word better than you know the facts of your favorite historical figure or event. You should know, listen, you should know God's word better than you know the lyrics for your favorite song or your favorite musical artist. Study God's word. Why? To show thyself approved unto God. Here's the question. Can you name the books of the Bible? Be a good place to start, wouldn't it? Name the books of the Bible. I'm not asking you to do it tonight. But you ought to, you ought to th- do I know the books of the Bible? And can I, can I find where I'm going? I remember I led a guy to Christ a number of years ago and we began the process of discipleship and, and we would sit down. A lot of times we'd meet at a, either a coffee shop or a library or something like that. And, and I would say, okay, now, now go to the book of Ephesians. And, and he, would, he would go, now is that in the front of the Bible or the back of the Bible? I mean, he had no clue. He'd been raised Catholic, been Catholic his whole life, but he had no clue where the book of Ephesians was. And so I'm like, well, it's in, the, it's, in, it's in the back of the Bible. Keep going, keep going, keep going. He, he'd find it eventually. Then he discovered, oh, it was an incredible discovery. He discovered that there was such a thing called a table of contents. <laughs> and I would say, go to the book of Philippians. And he would, he, would, he would go right to the front of his Bible and he'd look at me like, I'm one step ahead of you, you know. And he'd find the page number and he'd turn there. Now listen, that's fine. And that's, and that's, that's actually, that's a beautiful thing. And by the way, every church ought to have some people sitting in it that are like that. We're not doing our job if there aren't people sitting here saying, you know, uh, Ephesians, is that New Testament or Old Testament? In fact, there ought to be some people in here saying, I don't even know the difference between Old and New Testament. None of that makes any sense to me because they're so new in the faith. They don't know anything about God's word. We're not doing our job if there aren't people around here like that. They're just trying to figure this thing out. And by the way, be patient with people. Be patient with people. But, but you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm talking to some of you who've been saved for a long time. Do you know the books of the Bible? Do you know the various characters of the Bible? Can you identify them Can you identify certain truths in the Bible? What does God's word have to say about this? Or what does God's word have to say about this? That could you, could you win your coworker to Christ Jesus if they were to come to you and they were to ask what the Philippian jailer asked the the apostle Paul that night, what must I do to be saved? Would you be able to help them? Or would you have to call the pastor or call your Sunday school teacher or call some deacon or some person you know, hey, listen, my neighbor wants to know how to be saved. Can you come over and talk to them? 
No, you go talk to them. You know Christ, don't you? You know God's word, don't you? Study, study God's word. If your children were struggling with something, could you give them a Bible answer to it? Or would you just say, go talk to your youth pastor? Go talk to your Sunday school teacher. Go talk to your Christian school teacher. Don't bother me with that. Go talk to somebody else. No, listen, study, study God's word. Paul wrote to Timothy that the Bible was profitable. This is all scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice, secondly, not only are we to study God's word, but we're to meditate on God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Did you know that every single temptation was met with scripture? Every single one. Matthew 4, 1 to 10. Each temptation was met, was met with these three words. Jesus said every single time you study it, Matthew 4, it is written. It's written. You say, well, where is it written? You study it, it's written in God's word. It's written in the Bible. So here's the question, do you know what is written in God's word so that you could disarm the devil in spiritual warfare as well? Listen, unless you study God's word, unless you're meditating on God's word, you're gonna struggle in this area. There's no reason for us to struggle. There's no reason for us to, uh, to, to, to have a hard time in this. No, if we hide God's word in our heart, we can, we, can, we can avoid sinning against God in certain areas. The Bible says in Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Psalm 1 and verse number two, the Bible says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Meditate in God's word. Think about it over and over again. Quote scripture, write scripture verses down, put them in different places, meditate on God's word. And then notice thirdly, live God's word. Live God's word. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. If we were to continue reading that passage, we don't have time to go there tonight, but if we were to continue reading Colossians chapter number three, we would find that allowing God's word to dwell in us richly, listen, it impacts our marriages and homes, According to verses 18 to 21, it impacts our places of employment where we work, our coworkers, the community that we work in, the culture that we work in, according to verse number 22, and it, and it literally impacts every area of our lives, according to verse 23. So here's the point. God has given us a weapon. It's the sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. He furnished it for us. He made it available to us. You say, well, what is that weapon? What is that sword? It is the Word of God. So you better study it. You better meditate on it, and you better live it. You better figure out, okay, what does God's Word have to say about this? And what does God's Word have to say about that? And I'm going to do what God's Word instructs me or tells me to do. So listen, here's the question. Are you carrying are you carrying it with you every day as you navigate this life that is full of spiritual warfare and spiritual difficulty? Spiritual strength is found not only in what you're wearing, what you're holding, carrying, but spiritual strength is found in what you are doing. Would you look in verse number 18? He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
Now, there are two directives given by Paul in this text. Those are what believers ought to be doing if they're going to have spiritual strength. And listen, as they're identified, I believe perhaps that we'll discover that we don't, we don't do these things nearly enough. So here's the first thing. Paul, Paul, tells us, Paul tells us to be praying, to be praying. Now consider that we are not just to pray, but we are to pray always. Isn't that what he says there? Praying always in verse number 18. I, believe we, I think we ought to have a set time of prayer each, each and every day, don't you? I, I hope that you have a place I hope you have a place in your life, a place in your home perhaps, where you, where you meet with the Lord and you pray. And I, I know some of you are one step ahead of me, you're saying that I, I do, it's called the dinner table. <laughs> That's not sufficient, you know that. Now of course we're, we're, we're chuckling a little bit, that's meant to be a little humorous. But you know if the only time you ever pray is when you sit down to eat a meal, you're, you're not doing it right. Not doing it right because we're told, we're told to pray always. Pray always. So I do believe that there ought to be a, there ought to be a place that you, uh, that, that you have, a, a time, a set time that you pray every day. But listen, don't let that be the only time you pray. D- don't get up from that place. If I'm not careful, I'll be guilty of this. I'll get up from that place, and, 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 and for me, it's a spe- specific spot in my home, spe- specific time of the day. I'll get up, and I'll carry on with my day, and I'll never, listen, I'll never, if I'm not careful, I'll never communicate with the Lord again until I meet him there the next morning. I have to be intentional about this, and so do you. To pray always, we ought to pray together as a family. We should pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we should pray when we are tempted, and we should pray when we feel like, like we ought to pray or when we're prompted to do so. Listen, I'm some, I, just, I, I think this. I think that there ought to be many moments throughout our day when we just find ourselves naturally communing, communing with the Lord in unceasing prayer. Several years ago, I was meeting with a, a lady in my office, and, uh, and we're sitting there, and of course, you know, here in, in, in uh, Antietam, it's a busy street, and, uh, and where the office, the church office is located, you can, you can hear emergency vehicles. So we're sitting up there, we're meeting, we're talking, I don't remember what we were talking about, and all of a sudden, an emergency vehicle went speeding down the road, and you could hear the sirens going, and, uh, and I'm, I'm just, you know, talking about whatever it is we're talking about, and all of a sudden, she says, excuse me for a minute, excuse me for a minute, and I said, what? And she said, I, I always make it a habit of praying when I hear an emergency vehicle, when I see an emergency vehicle, where they're going and who they're going to. to and, and, and so she just stopped right there in my office and she started praying. And I looked at her like she was crazy. You know, right in the middle of this meeting, we're, 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 we're carrying on this conversation and she interrupts this meeting to start praying in the pastor's office. <laughs> what a crazy thing to do. That's not a crazy thing to do at all. In fact, I, as I thought, I was convicted. I was convicted by that. I thought, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's ever been a time when I heard or saw an emergency vehicle. To my shame, I don't know if there's ever been a time when I paused and I stopped for a minute and I just said, Lord, I don't know where those guys are going. I don't know what they're going to. I don't know what they're going to find there. But Lord, would you bless them and help them? Isn't that a simple, simple thing? But wouldn't that be a good thing for more of us to start doing? That dear lady, still in our church today, she taught me something. I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Now, now when I see those vehicles, you know, I, I start praying, Lord, go get them, go get them. No, I'm just kidding. But this guy that just sped around me and cut me off, you know, Lord, get him. No, I, I, I think you get the idea, right? Praying always. Praying always. We ought to develop, we ought to develop a consistency. We're praying over everything. We don't, we don't, we don't, I, I shouldn't say we don't. I don't do that enough. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, 
I'm not going to attach that to your name. You can attach that to your name if you want to. I'm speaking for myself tonight. And this is a convicting thought. Praying always. You want to you you stand in the evil day? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how you can do it. You hit your knees. You, you, get, you, get, a, you get alone with God and you'll stand in the evil day. You, you, you get up every day and you just go about your day and you just determine I'm gonna trust in my own strength and my own power and my own ability and you, listen, you will be a miserable failure of a Christian. You determine, you know what, I'm gonna pray every day and I'm gonna pray throughout the day and I'm gonna pray always. I'm gonna pray without ceasing as the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. But then notice, notice there's a second thing that he says here. He says praying always with all prayer and supplication. Notice the, ne- the next thing. In the Spirit. So not only should our prayers be always, but then we're told that our, that our prayers ought to be in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Now, I, I, just, I just have to tell you that this, this is not something that I'm super strong at either. And as I'm studying this passage of Scripture, see, I have the benefit of, of, of getting to this before you do, right? Because I'm working on it throughout the week. And so, and so this week, you know what I did? I, um, I, I got along with the Lord like I, I normally do. And, and, I, and I, I said, I said this, is, this, is, this is great. I said, I said Lord, I want to pray today in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want, you to, I want you to lead me and guide me and direct me in my prayer. And I just have to tell you, it was, I'm, I'm just telling you, it was one of the most meaningful times of prayer I've had in a long time. I, I, found myself, I found myself more alert. I found myself more, uh, just, just more connected with what I was doing. I, I, just, I just found that it was so very, very helpful for me. So here's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It means to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in praying. Because you know there are times when you may not be aware of certain things. Have you ever, have you ever had certain, maybe just somebody pop into your mind and thought, I wonder how they're doing. Maybe you just reached out to them and you just kind of shot them a text or maybe a phone call or whatever. And, 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 and when, when you sent it, they said, you don't even know. You don't even know how timely this is. Here, here's what we're dealing with. Here's, here's what I've got in front of me. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for thinking of me. They, you say, where does that come from? Is that just some weird premonition? I, I think if you're saying anything, it comes from the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit puts those, those thoughts, and that's why we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when he does those things, it's why we need to, we need to follow through on those things. And so here's what will happen. You start praying in the Holy Spirit. You start asking the Holy Spirit to guide you, to assist you, to lead you in your prayer. Here, here's what you'll find. You'll find that he'll do just that. And, and he's, all, listen, he's always one step ahead of wherever you and I might be. And so here's what, he'll, here's what he can do. He, he can have you praying for Brother Mac over there on the mission field. Brother Pranger, who just returned this week, and they're still seeking God's direction and God's will for their future, and he can, he can have you praying for those people. You don't even realize the pressure that they're under, the burdens that they're bearing, the things that they're dealing with. You may not be aware of certain things and circumstances and people who, who need our prayers, but listen, the Holy Spirit of God is capable of leading us to pray for those things that we might not otherwise pray for. So we're told to pray always and to pray in the spirit, spirit-directed prayers. But finally, we're, we're told that we should pray for others. He says, pray for all saints. And then he says, pray especially for our spiritual leaders and ministers. You see that in verses 19 and 20, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. Can I just say that there is this, this thought or this idea that the pastor never struggles to share or communicate his faith. 
And he just walks into every scenario and every circumstance. And I mean, he just walks in there with his guns blazing and he's just preaching everywhere he goes. Can I just be frank? Can I just help you understand? I think most of you know this already. I'm no different than you are. Anybody that, that carries the title here in this church, pastor, is no different than anybody else. And Paul here, you know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, he's saying, I'm, would you pray for me that, that, that utterance or opportunities would be given unto me? And, and, and then would you pray that I, not, that I not waste those opportunities, but instead that I open my mouth boldly? Now, we don't think of Paul like that, do we? Because Paul seems to be so bold. But you know, he's, he's asking for people to pray for him. You know what I think? I think, that, I think that Paul was a man subject to like passions just like you and I are. Now that's what the Bible says about Elijah in the book of James, chapter number five, that he was a man subject to like passions as we are. Now I just have to tell you, if Elijah was subject to like passions, then so was Paul, and so was Peter, and so was James and John, and David. I just have to tell you, so is, so is Pastor Pete. Pastor Tom and Pastor with Sam and men again in this church that and, and I just want you to know something. Listen, we struggle, we struggle to be bold, just like you struggle to be bold. There's no shame in admitting that. There's no shame. There, there, there's no there's no there'd be shame if I lied about it. If I told you everywhere I go, I just can't wait to tell people about Jesus. No, I, I struggle with the same things you do. You say, well, what's the answer to that? Would you pray for me? Would you? Just add me to your prayer list and just say, just say to the Lord, Lord, would you, would you help Pastor Petey? He might be preaching a funeral this week or perhaps he's going to go soul winning today or maybe he's going to have somebody into his office or maybe, maybe just somebody going to drop by the church to, to, to service some of these buildings or to do something. And, and, and if I'm not careful, listen, if I'm not careful, I'll miss those opportunities just like, just like maybe you would be tempted to miss those opportunities. Would you pray that God would help me to be bold? He says in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Don't you suppose those bonds, don't you suppose those bonds might have had some, some type of uh, influence on him? See, see, here's what happens when, uh, when, when, when Paul's in bonds. I have a feeling, I have a feeling, the Spirit of God is saying, hey, tell this person about the gospel. But then, but then perhaps the, the devil is whispering in his other ear saying, you're, you're in this whole mess because you told people about the gospel. Just keep your mouth shut and you get out of here faster. That's how this sort of thing works. That's how it plays out. And it's happening in our world today. I've never been arrested, but I've been, I've been pressured. I, I felt sort of a, almost a threatening presence. Just, just lay low. Just keep your mouth shut. Just don't cause a scene. Paul's saying, pray for me that I will cause a scene. Not a, not a, a scene that is inappropriate. But pray for me that I'll open my mouth and I'll be bold. So understand, listen, spiritual leaders are not exempt from troubles and trials as it relates to Paul being in bonds in verse number 20. They're not exempt from, uh, from struggling with boldness, from having courage like you might struggle in those areas. So he encouraged them to pray, to pray. Spirit, listen, be strong in the Lord. Spiritual strength is found in what we're doing. I promise you, I promise you, if you'll take your prayer life to another level, you'll start to see victory. You'll start to overcome. You'll start to stand in the evil day. Then secondly and lastly, watching, watching. He says in verse number 18, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The word, the word watching, it literally means to be sleepless or it means to be or to keep awake. 
And you know this as well as I do. Listen, the devil has been very successful at lulling believers into a place of rest, into a place of sleep. And here's the point. Now is not the time for us to be asleep. The enemy lies in every corner and is eager to pounce upon the unsuspecting. Those us and those who are sleeping are especially vulnerable to the devil's attacks. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ephesians 5, 14, we'll finish here. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.